Okay, so the amazing grace of God. Now, when I am doing street evangelism, one of the reasons people give for why they don't believe in God uh, is that it's mainly due to their understanding of what they think God's character is like. It doesn't take very long when you're chatting to someone who doesn't believe in God uh, for them to say, well, (laughs) when you've gone through all the arguments where they will say, well, I have no problem with God, but what I don't get is why am I suffering? I mean, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much uh, evil? Because if God is wonderful, why does he allow these things to happen? And such questions are always thrown up. And I'm sure you've had similar conversations with people when you've talked to them about God. And I think I would say that though many of, many of them would never say it as blunt, what they're really getting at with all their question is, what they mean is that they do not feel God is worthy of their worship. When all things considered, they don't feel God is worthy of their worship. Now, I hope you are here this evening, and I'm sure you are, because you know that God is worthy of your worship. And yet, if you're honest with yourself, you know that you don't always delight in the goodness and grace of God. Uh, Oftentimes, publicly, we can say, God is wonderful. We can say that to everyone. But when privately we are by ourselves... Uh, if we are honest, uh, sometimes our relationship with God can sometimes feel cold and distant. And, and often we go through periods when there is just no excitement in Jesus. Uh, it might not might surprise you hearing that because you probably think uh, the pastor himself obviously is always like that, ah, you know. But no, all of us, regardless of how long we've been with Jesus... We do have these extremes, don't we? There are moments, seasons, when we forget just how wonderful God is and we go through those seasons. And I think that is why all of us need to be constantly confronted with the question this evening we are looking at. What is the God of the Bible really like? What what God is he, this God that we have encountered in Jesus? What is he really like? And one of the major truths revealed in the Bible about God, which we are looking at this evening, is that God is full of grace. He's full of grace towards sinners. Now, the word grace is much overused. I mean, that's the name of the church, isn't it? Grace Baptist Church makes the it. And, and you know the story about somebody being asked the name Grace, and the, the person is told, oh, you know, Grace is the name of uh, perhaps the person who founded the church, or something like that. I had a story like that, I think, coming from um, Dunstable, one of these uh, churches where Pastor Barry uh, has preached on. People have got many ideas about the word grace. But, and in front of your outline, they have just defined for you what grace is. When we speak of grace, that God is full of grace, what the Bible is saying is that God, grace is God's relentless, loving pursuit to serve sinners. God, grace is God's relentless and loving pursuit to serve sinners. To serve people who are his enemies. God has reached out to us in Jesus. And we see this amazing grace of God throughout the Bible. And especially in this passage we are looking at this evening. Judges chapter 13 verse 1 to 25. This amazing account of the birth of Samson is full of the grace of God towards sinners. Look with me at verse 1 of Judges chapter 13. And there are three truths I just want to share to you about this grace of God, which is 
uh, in your outline. The first truth we learn from this passage, we're just going to walk through it. The first truth we learn in this passage is that the grace of God is phenomenal. Now, I've gone for three Ps. It's a pity, uh, but Fred who likes this sort of thing is not here. Uh, I've gone for three Ps. The first P is that the grace of God is phenomenal. It's amazing. Uh, the, 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 the people of Israel, we see here that they have been enjoying three decades of peace with God, their husband. And then it seems an odd love walks through the door. Look at this one. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's just pause there and notice what's happening here. Is that like Hosea's wife, the prophet Hosea, Israel seems to be powerless against its sin. It seems constantly as we're going through judges, it keeps being drawn to sin, isn't it? It's being drawn to darkness, almost like a, like a moth to a flame. They can't resist living in sin. But as we have been seeing through our judges, God loves Israel too much just to let them live like that. So what he often does is he gives them up to be disciplined, and here he gives them up to the Philistines. Let's continue reading verse 1. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, that is, four decades. 40 years, four decades. They are now under terrible oppression. I don't know what you know about the Philistines, but this is the third time we are meeting the Philistines in Judges. The first time we met them when Shamgar took them on, and the second time we met them is actually when they were oppressing Israel before Jephthah arose alongside the Ammonites. And now they are back, and they are back with full force. The Philistines are probably the most formidable opposition that Israel has faced because their technology is very superior than anything else. And they control these five cities, uh, Ekron, Gaza, and other cities, and they're using that to oppress the people of Israel. They'll continue oppressing until the time of David and beyond. They are very, very powerful. Now, what should normally happen is, it's a quick question, what should should happen now that Israel... Israel, Israel is being oppressed. Well, what we've seen in Judges, what normally happens when Israel is being oppressed, is that they do what? They cry out to God, don't they? And then God intervenes. But actually, here, they are not crying out to God at all. They don't cry out to God. It seems they are so deep in sin, that what should be abnormal is now normal for them. They are knee deep in sin. It's like they have kicked God out of the door of their, of their lives, and they have shut the door. And God is now standing outside, knocking in the cold winter of their sins, so to speak. He's just waiting. He's just waiting for 40 years. And now God knocks on the door uh, by sending an angel to this little town of Zora with Christmas-sized news. Look at verse 2 to verse 5. God is intervening now. There was a certain man of Zora, of the tribe of the Danites. He's one of the tribes... In, in, in Israel, one of the 12 tribes, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. 
For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Let us pause the camera just there. God has sent the angel. He's delivered this amazing news to this nameless woman. We should know here that God is doing something special that we haven't seen in Judges before. He's been raising judges from among the people. But now God is grooming a judge from inside the womb. He's raising a savior from the scratch. He's creating new life from inside this barren womb just to save Israel. And let us also note that in this society where this nameless woman, Mrs. Manoah, lives, being without a child is not like today. I mean, like today, there are many people who don't have children. But in this society, being childless, barren, is, is a mark of shame, and it, it, is, it is a sign that God's favor is not on you. It's not to say the case, but that's how people think. And this woman, put yourself in her shoes, she must weep every night. Everyone has kids, she doesn't have any. And she must weep every night. She feels lonely, isolated. And there's a sense in which perhaps even the culture around her is perhaps oppressing this woman because of her condition. Immediately we realize that this woman really, in many ways, is like Israel. Isn't it? She's fruitless, just like the, the nation Israel. And just as God sees our condition, he also sees Israel's condition. God is mindful of her. I like the words of the angel. Did you notice that? Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, she, the angel says, You are barren and have no born children. You're like, yeah. She probably is thinking, I know that already. <laughs> But God is making the point that he's aware of the situation. He's mindful of her. And that's so encouragement, isn't it? As you read this, I hope you're encouraged. Because, you see, you should note that if you're trusting in Jesus this evening, God knows your situation. If you're in Jesus, you should know that God is mindful of you. That his eye is on you. Yes, you're not barren this evening, but whatever situation you're facing, God is aware of that situation. And he stands ready to help. Is it a struggle against sin you're going through? God is aware of that and he stands ready to help. Is it loneliness? Is it a family situation that you cannot resolve? Is it difficulties you're facing at work or at school or in whatever activity you're involved in? Well, God is aware of that, and God is your answer. So go to him. You know, you should go to God because God, here we see, we can go to God because God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He comes to us with grace beyond our wildest dreams. That's why we're calling it phenomenal grace. God tears up the rule book, starts from the scratch. In this barren room, it begins to work. And whatever situation you're facing, God tears out the rule book. He's ready to work in that situation. He works with phenomenal grace. See how phenomenal the grace of God is here to Mrs. Manoah. Notice, she's not just going to have a baby. She's going to have a boy. 
big deal in this culture. Someone who will carry on the family line, she hopes. Not just a boy, she will have a special boy, a Nazarite. Look at verse 5 again. This boy, the angel says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. What does it mean to be a Nazarite? That simply means that this boy will be set apart to live holy before God. And his job description is given in verse 5. And he shall begin to serve Israel from the end of the Philistine. She's not just having any boy. I mean, this boy, all the, all the problems of the nation will be on this boy's shoulder. I mean, this birth doesn't happen many... Well, it doesn't happen at all, actually. <laughs> But it is happening here because God has set aside everything Israel has done and is beginning to work to deliver them. God has reacted to all the evil of Israel with a special favor because his grace towards sinners is phenomenal. That's the first truth we learn here. The second truth we learn here is that about the grace of God is that the grace of God is patient. It's patient. Let's, let's, let's resume. The angel has delivered this huge news to this nameless woman. And like all expecting mothers, what does she do? She immediately goes to Facebook and Instagram to tell the world. <laughs> no, that's not what she does. <laughs> Here is a scan and everything. No, that's not what she's doing. That's not what she does. She runs to tell her husband. Ladies, listen. Good news must be taught first. To the husband and to the dad. <laughs> so look at verse 6 to verse 7 and see what the, what the lady does. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive. And bear a son. So then, drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. <coughs> now, notice at this point, if you are in Manoah's shoe, hearing this news from your wife, what, how would you react? Well, you immediately leap for joy. But interesting here, Manoah's response is not necessarily leaping for joy. Perhaps he's already done that. But what we are told is that he prays. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. When we read that, at first this seems so spiritual. Wow. He wants to know more. But take a look again at the prayer. We should do that with the Bible, isn't it? Take a look at how he has prayed. How has he prayed? He says, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us, both of us, and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. The angel, of course, has already told the wife what he should do. The instructions are obvious. The Nazarite is telling you there is a whole law behind it. Read up on that. Ensure that, you know, this child is born as a Nazarite. The angel has already said that. 
So we now begin to think to ourselves, when I read this for the first time, maybe, what more does Manoah want? Is there like some more instruction that God has forgotten, perhaps, that God needs to give Mrs. Manoah? I get the impression that Manoah doubts his nameless wife. And yet God answers Manoah's prayer. But notice, not as he prayed. Look at verse 9. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. We are asking ourselves, as the angelic Setnav suffered a malfunction, uh, surely the prayer was to, for God to come to both of us. Why isn't the angel just going to Manoah? Even if he's not with her, he prayed the angel should go to Manoah. What's going on here? Why is the angel again answering? The, the, God has answered the prayer, but then he only goes to Manoah's wife. Well, it seems here that God is doing that because, you know, God has come to Miss Manoah without Mr. Manoah to emphasize that God's grace is on this nameless woman. And because God is gracious, he is patient with Mr. Manoah's rather pointless prayer. And as we see, it's got loads of pointless questions. So let's go back to the woman. The woman is a nice lady, so she goes and fetches her hubby again. Look at verse 10 to verse 11. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? Now, <laughs> when you get that question, you're thinking, well, Manoah, <laughs> this is a bit insensitive. I mean, it's not the way you speak about your wife, is it? Uh, this woman, <laughs> uh, she's your wife, but she has a name, surely. And that name should be made. But no, Manoah is like, you know, perhaps like a macho man, I guess. Because, you know, of course, this appearance, remember, is appearing as the angel is appearing as a man. That's quite important to understand. But there's something about him that has given Ms. Manoah the impression that his appearance is awesome. So Manoah perhaps is just being protective or perhaps he's just an insensitive man. In any case, he's insensitive to his wife because he's not addressing her properly. And the angel, listen, look at the angel's response. The angel doesn't simply says, what does he say? And he said, I am. And now Manoah has another question. And Manoah said, in verse 12, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is this mention? He said, you know, what is all of this about? What is this child meant to actually do? And the angel patiently, notice how he answers, repeats what he said exactly. Look at verse 13 to 14. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said, look, I've already said this again. Of all that I've said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong wine, strong drink, or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. In short, God heard Manoah's prayer 
and sent his angel to tell him that his prayer was unnecessary. The angel has come just to repeat the same instruction and to add that, Manoah, you have a job to do. Look after your wife. I wonder why the angel is saying that. Make sure she does these things. Don't just let her do these things. But God has heard this prayer and he's come to state the obvious. Now, God doesn't have to do any of this. But he is patient to Manoah because he loves sinners. And as we have come to expect, Manoah is not finished. He's like that kid in the class. So he raises his hand again. He's got another question. Verse 15. And Manoah said to the angels, Please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. How will the angel respond? He turns him down. Look at verse 16. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat your food. If you want to serve food for me, I'm not going to eat it. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it up to the Lord. Brackets for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. We'll come to that in a moment. But notice in the response of the angel, the angel has given Manoah a huge int yet. He is saying, prepare a burnt offering, then offer it up to the Lord. But Manoah still doesn't get it that this is, as the wife has said, the angel's appearance is also. But he still doesn't get it. And his hand goes up again. He has another question. Verse 17. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? I mean, you're refusing my food. So at least tell me your name. What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. Now, this question actually seems a bit innocent to us. But at this time in the ancient world, knowing someone's name is very intimate. It was a form almost of exerting some control or power. This is why God only revealed his name to Israel, isn't it? I am what I am. Names meant something. And by the angel refusing to uh, reveal his name to Manoah in this sense, is in effect... Refusing for Manoah to impose his, um, his agenda. So we see in verse 18, the angel turns down Manoah. Look at verse 18. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask? Seeing it is wonderful. So he doesn't reveal his name, and yet he drops a huge hint about his identity. If Manoah is smart, of course the name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. And we're looking at that, hmm, who could that possibly be with such a name? A name, in some version, it says, beyond comprehension, beyond understanding. But our friend Manoah still does not get it. Uh, but interesting enough, he doesn't follow up on that. Each, this time, thankfully, he's quiet and just does what he's told. Look at verse 19. So Manoah took the young God with the grain offering, and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And then it all happens. Look at verse 20 to 21. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. 
then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. It is a sight that is beyond understanding, I guess. He's doing this burnt offering thing, and all of a sudden the angel is taken up in the flame and disappears from Manoah's sight. It is extraordinary. And it's so extraordinary, even Manoah, with all his questions, he can't now miss it. He realizes that he has been talking foolishly to the most holy God. He's now thinking to myself, oh dear, that was not an angel. That was a theophany. That was God appearing in human form. We are now finished. Look what he says in verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. He gets it now. And Manoah is right. He deserves to die because God has been so gracious to him and yet, like many people, he has remained blind to God. But God is full of grace. He won't kill Manoah and Mrs. Manoah. And Mrs. Manoah helps us explain why God won't do it. Because God is gracious. Look at verse 23. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. What she's saying is that God is gracious and loving to us. Yes, we've been doing foolish things. You have been asking the wrong questions. But God has been kind and wonderful in his promises all these things because he's gracious to us. She's saying, my husband, Relax. This God we worship is a gracious God. He's kind towards us. He's patient towards us. Let us note in passing that it is the grace of God to have a godly wife by your side. Someone who always steers you to see the grace of God. Has the Lord blessed anyone this evening with the Mrs. Manoah? Well, thank God for her. Thank God for a wife who will steer you to always look at Christ. Are you a married woman this evening? Ask God to help you to become a Mrs. Manoah. Are you looking to get married as a young man? Pray that God in the future brings in your life Mrs. Manoah. Someone that can steer you there. Are you looking to get married as a young woman? Pray in the future that your position, however many years from now, be one like Mrs. Manoah. One who steers her husband to see the grace of God afresh. But the main point here is that God's grace is not just phenomenal. God's grace towards us is patient. As Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And as followers of Jesus, you already know this. You know that God is graciously patient towards you. Why? Because you read it in the Bible. You just sang it in the hymn. You know in your own life the millions of ways God has been good to you in your life. And even though you continue to let him down time and time again, 
Yet God continues to pour His grace on your life. His love to you abounds more and more. He remains faithful to all the promises He has made to you in His Son, Jesus. Yes, you forget easily just how gracious God is. How patient He is towards you. But He remains gracious and patient. So hold on to this precious truth this evening. Hold on to this God who is graciously patient with you. Who is patient with all the flaws that you have in your life. Hold on to Him. Hold on to this truth that God is patient to you. Not because God has some sort of long fuse or something. No, God is patient towards you. Why? Because if you are in Jesus, all your sins have been paid for through the death of Christ. His wrath against your sin is settled forever. And therefore, you now stand perfect before Him. With all your flaws. So that's the second thing we learn here. We learn that God's grace is not only phenomenal, it is also patient. And here is the final point for us this evening. We also learn here that the grace of God is proven. It is proven. Let us rejoin the Manoah family. Now, it's now, I guess, nine months since the angel uh, visited Mrs. Manoah. And Mrs. Manoah is now about to give birth. Look at verse 24. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The name Samson means little son. It is an appropriate name, I think, for a child who has brought light into the dark lives of the parents. Has brought light, is going to bring light to the dark lives of Israel. He's bringing sunshine where there is coldness of winter and, and darkness. And as the time passes, this gracious boy becomes a young man and the hand of God begins to stir him up. Look at verse 24, how it finishes to verse 25. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Heshtor. God the Spirit is stirring Samson from within to begin to prepare him to do the work of saving his people. God's grace, which he promised Manoah nine months ago, has now come true. And this miraculous birth of Samson is saying to us, look, you can trust the grace of God because you know what? God does what he promises. God's grace, friends, never disappoints because it never depends on us. The Manoahs are sinners like all of us. They deserve Judgment. But God has given them Samson. It is grace. And this grace of God is what? Ultimately proven to us in Jesus. Because the gracious birth of Samson here, you can't read Judges chapter 13 without thinking of Christmas. Because this birth of Samson, you know, it's miraculous work. It's pointing us forward to Jesus. Because like Samson, Jesus is a gift to unrepentant sinners. For 400 years, the prophetic voice was silent in Israel before Jesus was born. Dark times, just like there are dark times during this period of the Philistine. 
Like Samson, Jesus was chosen by God before he was conceived by the Spirit of God. Like Mrs. Manoah, God miraculously opened Mary's womb. But that is where all the similarities end. Because Mary's baby, the greater Samson, our Lord Jesus, was conceived without a human father at all. There was no hapless Manoah involved. It's God himself bringing about a second genesis, bringing the Lord Jesus to life in the womb of Mary. Jesus has come as God in human flesh, the culmination of the grace of all the grace God lavished in the Old Testament. Friends, Jesus doesn't just bring grace. Jesus is grace walking among us. On the cross, Jesus, of course, proved God's grace by dying the death we deserve for our sins and thereby delivering us, not from the Philistines, from sin, death, and hell forever. Are you trusting Jesus this evening? Then be confident that this phenomenal, patient, and proven grace of God is yours in Jesus. We need to remember this truth, especially because all of us face what I would call Manoah moments. We face those moments in our lives when the situation looks so impossible. It looks like change can't happen, totally beyond our control. Maybe your Manoah moment is a family rift that seems impossible to mend. It has gone on for years and is not getting better. Maybe your Manoah moment is the health of a loved one. It worries you greatly. You don't know what the future holds. You are praying to God, but you feel hopeless and helpless. Maybe your Manoah moment this evening is the spiritual health of someone in your life. You are asking God to save them. You are asking God to break whatever holds them. And it seems that the situation is just getting worse. Well, life is full of such manoa moments. And when we're in such situations, life can feel empty and leave us skeptical. As I thought about this passage, I thought, there are days I feel like Mrs. Manoa, you know, trusting God, seeing everything clear. But if I'm being honest, most of the days I'm like Mr. Manoa. Full of questions, asking my hand up to the Lord. Wondering, what are you doing with this? And, and the Lord perhaps not give me an answer immediately. We need this passage, isn't it? We need this passage to comfort us. Especially in those moments we have endless questions. We need to know that the God of the trusting Mrs. Manoa is also the God of the hapless Mr. Manoa. He is the God of grace. So I can encourage you to come afresh to God this evening. If you're trusting in Jesus, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your cries to God. And ask God to renew and refresh you in His grace. Richard Sibb says this, God knows we have nothing of ourselves. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, He requires no more than He gives, but gives what he requires and accepts what he gives. So go to him today. Pray bold prayers 
for God to move in your situation. Why? Because God has lavished his amazing grace on you in Jesus. Sadly, some of us are only too prone to misunderstand what we see in this passage. There's a danger when we speak of the grace of God as as phenomenal, as patient, and as proven. Some of us may think such grace is license to sin. Let us be clear that God is pouring. Why is God pouring his grace through Samson? To save Israel from idols. And God has poured his grace in Jesus to save us from sin. The grace of God that comes from heaven teaches us to renounce sin, Paul tells Titus. As Richard Sieb says again, grace will never join with sin any more than fire with water. Therefore, those that plead and plot for liberties for the flesh show themselves strangers from the life of God. In short, he's saying the grace of God we have been given teaches us to renounce sin. It is the grace of God for those who have truly turned away from the life of sin and surrendered to Jesus. It is for those who are coming to him, asking him to give them a new heart and direct their desires to live for him. And if we have not done that, then we need to approach God today, surrender our lives to him, and let God change us by his grace. And if we have done that, we can rejoice today that we belong to a God of amazing grace. A God who reaches out to us with phenomenal grace, a patient grace, and a proven grace. Amen.